Um, Father, thank you uh, for the words that we've just been singing. And it does express the desire of our hearts, which is we want to see your kingdom come um, here on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to see your kingdom come here in our neighborhood, here in Mount Sandal, here in Coleraine, in the places where we live and work every day. We want to see this nation changed. We want to see this island changed. We want to see a shift in the atmosphere as men and women and boys and girls and young people um, come alive in Jesus. Um, and so, Father, we want to pray, would you start with us? Would you, would you light that fire in our hearts? Um, would you revive us by your spirit? Would you set your church on fire? And then would you send us to our neighbours uh, to share good news? Um, and so, Father, I want to pray this morning, as we listen to your word this morning, we pray that your word might kindle a fire in our hearts. Um, we know it's not going to work if we just try to um, cheerlead each other into getting fired up. And it's just human enthusiasm. Um, we need your spirit and we need your word to come and light a fire. And so would you do that this morning? Um, we pray that our hearts would be ready to receive uh, the things that you want to say to us this morning. Uh, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we're, we're thinking about everyday mission. I've been encouraged this morning just thinking about mission is happening in uh, Uganda uh, through Fields of Life. Um, mission is happening in Albania where uh, Tim and uh, Ricky were away a couple of weeks ago and we'll hear about that at some point as well. Uh, mission is happening in Sligo where the guys have been on a road trip uh, this week. Mission is happening in the Heights uh, with Digging Deeper going out there on the weekends. Uh, mission is happening here in the building. Uh, the St. Patrick's Night event, uh, something you can bring your friends to. Um, but I guess with this series, we're especially wanting to think about also that mission is happening every day, right where you are in your everyday ordinary life. And we want to pray that God, by his word, would give us that vision uh, for what that means. Mission every day, mission on our front line. Um, and I want to I want to start again this week, the last couple of weeks. Uh, we started with a, a man called Bruce who doesn't look like this, but um, who drives a garbage truck, a, a sanitation truck, a bin lorry um, in a city in America. Uh, um, in thinking about Bruce, we've already thought about stewardship, about how he approaches his job as an act of worship. And so he has a different attitude to the way that he does his work. Um, we've already thought about service, as Bruce looks for ways to lovingly um, serve uh, his co-workers and the people he meets every day. Uh, but this morning we want to think about spoken words, the part of mission that is about telling people about Jesus. Uh, and I want again to read you just a little bit about Bruce and how he does that. Um, and I, I guess I'd love you to listen out for what I love here is how Bruce has thought about how to share the gospel specifically with the people he works with and to use metaphors that are drawn from the work that they do uh, in dealing with rubbish. And I, I love this. So uh, 
just listen. Uh, this, this is again from the book, The Symphony of Mission. Um, Bruce's co-workers often ask Bruce why his life is so different, why he loves his job so much, why he goes the extra mile to serve others. It would be easy for Bruce to give them a stale, memorised gospel presentation. Instead, Bruce has reflected deeply on the redemptive analogies that are embedded in his context. So he often takes his co-workers to the back of the truck to look at the trash, and he says something like this. I love this. So they're at the back of the truck looking at the rubbish, and this is what he says. He says, the reason I find so much joy in my work is that I believe every inch of this world belongs to God and that by keeping the city clean, I'm serving him. He made us to flourish, but everything got messed up a long time ago. All the proof you need is in the back of this garbage truck. When you look back here, you see a lot of formerly good things that are now broken and rotting and decaying. What used to be a nourishing meal is now rotting meat. What was a good chair is now splintered wood. You and I both know that what's happening in the back of this truck isn't limited to the garbage bin. It's happening in countries at war, in the cancer growing in our friend Dave's liver, in the corruption of politics, in the strain on our marriages, in the pain we feel in our knees. Sin isn't just a list of bad things you shouldn't do, but it's a disease that infects all of creation, starting with every human heart. It would make sense for God to crush this whole world and all that's broken. But he doesn't intend to throw this world in the garbage heap, but he plans to recycle and renew and restore all things. When Jesus came into this world, he entered the garbage bin of this earth to make all things new. And he didn't just snap his fingers to make things better. He stepped into the trash compactor in our place. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Essentially, whenever you see that hydraulic trash compactor crushing the brokenness, you should be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross. He was crushed so that we, along with this world, don't have to be. In his resurrection, he shows the power of God to deal with the brokenness of sin, Satan and death, and to renew the world. Not quite a sermon at the back of the, the garbage truck. I don't know if he gives it quite like that every time. Um, but um, that, that's a great way into um, what we want to think about this morning, I guess. We've talked a lot in this series about having a big view of mission, and that mission is more than just evangelism, and that actually whenever we reduce mission to evangelism, our evangelism will end up lacking credibility and lacking authenticity and lacking power. And so mission needs to involve all kinds of other things, including how we do our work and how we love our neighbor and how we love our enemies and all the rest. Um, we need to have a big view of what mission is. but. In giving that bigger view of mission, we don't want in any way to downplay the importance of evangelism. And the word evangelism just means the sharing of good news. That is a vital and essential part of our mission, to actually open our mouths 
and share good news and talk about Jesus. And that is the, the, there are some people who have a particular gift for evangelism, but sharing good news is the privilege and responsibility of every believer. We all get to play a part in doing that. And that's what we want to think about uh, this morning. Um, so I'm going to read some very famous verses uh, from the book of First Peter. Um, it's really just two verses, which are going to be our, our focus this morning, that we're going to be reflecting on another passage as well. Uh, but First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15 and 16. Um, these would be brilliant verses uh, to take away and memorize and learn by heart. Um, incredibly helpful um, in thinking about this part of our mission. Peter writes, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Um, I, want us, I want us first of all just to notice this, which I think is really important. Um, Peter assumes that people will ask us about our faith. Uh, Peter assumes that's going to be normal, people, like they did with Bruce in the story we just read. People are going to ask about our hope. Um, and just to, to maybe observe something really obvious, that's only going to happen if our lives are distinctive, um, or to put it in a, a stranger way. Um, it's only going to happen if we are a peculiar people, right? Um, if there's something in our lives that makes people curious and puzzled and wanting to know more. Uh, and actually, the rest of the book of First Peter talks about what that means. What does it mean to live in the midst of our culture as peculiar people? Um, to, to live such good lives among the pagans that they're going to be drawn in and they're going to be puzzled. And you can read the rest of 1 Peter um, to read about that. But we've got to be a peculiar people. Now, even as I say that, it's important to say sometimes we as Christians make ourselves peculiar in unhelpful ways. And I'll let you fill in the blanks there. Uh, but it can be just talking weird religious jargon or Christian cliches all the time or dressing strangely or not being able to just have ordinary human laughter and humor, or there's different ways we can make ourselves peculiar in really unhelpful ways that actually um, make people want to avoid our company. But we're talking about being peculiar like Jesus, the kind of distinctiveness that the gospel brings in our lives. There's something about that that is compelling and beautiful, and there's also something about it that is puzzling. And so people want to know and people will ask. And so there's, there's something for us to reflect on there. Are we peculiar in a Jesus kind of way? In a way that will draw people in to ask if we're living the gospel in the midst of our world, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Or to use a better biblical metaphor, we're going to shine like stars against the blackness of our culture. And people are going to ask, um, we're not going to need to manipulate the conversation. We're not going to need to artificially manufacture opportunities because people are going to ask. Peter assumes that will happen. Um, so that's our first little reflection. 
Um, but then Peter goes on that we are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. There's a bit of preparation to do. We need to be ready. Um, what, what does that mean, to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have? Um, sometimes people have taken this mainly as an encouragement towards what we sometimes call apologetics. In other words, making sure that we have good answers to the big questions that people have about science or sex or other religions or why God allows suffering or, and, and so on and so on. Um, I definitely think there's an important place for apologetics and for that kind of thinking, but I'm not convinced that's the main point Peter is making here. There's nothing in the context here in First Peter that suggests that's what Peter is thinking about. Actually, the, the context is about when we're suffering for our faith. Um, I'm not convinced that's quite what Peter had in mind. I think Peter is talking about something more basic and more simple. Being prepared to open our mouths and talk about the gospel. Uh, well, do, you remember, do you remember in uh, Ephesians 6 when Paul is talking about the armor of God and he talks about what's on your feet? He says, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I think it's the same kind of thing that Peter is talking about. What does it mean to be ready with the gospel of peace, to be prepared to share that message? Um, so with that in mind, then, some people suggest the best way to be prepared is maybe to learn off some kind of neat gospel summary so that if somebody asks us what we believe, we can um, give them that. Um, and there are lots of those available, uh, whether it's the four spiritual laws or two ways to live or the Romans road or the bridge diagram or Jesus at the door. There's lots of them uh, that are out there. And again, I want to be careful to say, I think those kinds of gospel summaries may well have their place but I also see significant danger in that approach. Um, it can make our sharing of the gospel very robotic. Um, like as soon as we see an opening, we go into our presentation. Um, I sometimes, um, maybe provocatively, have called that vomit evangelism, where as soon as, as, soon as we sense there's a tiny little opportunity, um, we just give them the whole thing and they end up covered in it. Um, it, it's, not, it's not a very human way of having a conversation. And maybe those gospel summaries can be helpful in giving us confidence in the core of the gospel and what's there. Uh, but I think there may be more natural ways to talk to our neighbours. Um, I wonder if you ever noticed in the New Testament that as the good news of the gospel is repeated many times, it's never told in the same way twice. Right? If you don't believe me, Go and read the book of Acts and read the many sermons that are in the book of Acts from Peter and Paul and the other apostles. And there's a lot of similarities, a lot of similar things that they cover, but they never preach the same sermon twice. Um, if you even just think about the fact that we have four gospels in our New Testament, and when Matthew and Mark and Luke and John sit down to write the good news about Jesus, there's a lot of similarities but they each tell it in a distinctive way, which I think probably has to do with a different audience that they were speaking to. Um, and maybe if you, don't believe, if you still don't believe me, go and look at the way Jesus speaks to people in the Gospels. 
the way he speaks to Nicodemus, the way he speaks to the woman at the well, the way he speaks to the rich young ruler. Why does he not give the same presentation every time? Because he's speaking to a real human being in front of him. And he speaks in a way that is appropriate to the person he's talking to. Um, There's one gospel, but it's told in a beautiful, colourful variety of ways that are appropriate to the context and to the particular people involved in the conversation. And so maybe this morning I want to try to give us a little bit of confidence that we can go and talk about Jesus, but not the confidence that comes from a learned summary, but that maybe we can be a little bit liberated that we can go and talk to people and have conversations in a way that is natural for us and in a way that is appropriate to the person that we're talking to. That's kind of my my goal this morning. Um, And I want to suggest the best thing we can do is learn from Jesus himself. My conviction is Jesus is not only the content of the gospel, he's also the greatest evangelist. Um, And so I think we can learn from paying attention to the example of Jesus. Um, And so I want us to consider, we're thinking about how to be prepared when the opportunity arises, when people ask to talk about Jesus. Um, I want us to consider the story that was read to us earlier by Francine. This conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. Um, And I want to just observe five really simple things that I think we can learn from that encounter about sharing the good news where we are and that can help us to be prepared and to be ready. So you ready? So five five simple things from that story uh, in John chapter four. And you can go and read the story again later on. Um, The first principle is this, uh, that we can meet people where they are. Jesus meets the woman at a well, which is the most ordinary and everyday of places. Um, And I want to suggest right away, those are the best kind of places for conversations about Jesus. And I want you immediately to maybe start thinking, where are those places for you? Right? We don't don't really go to a well to get our water anymore, mostly. Um, It might be the Coke machine. Um, It might be the coffee shop. It might be the work canteen. It might be the staff room or the gym or the school gate or the doctor's waiting room, or the bus stop, or the park where you go to walk your dog. I don't know where it is for you, but those are the best kind of places for conversations about Jesus. Um, Those are the places where conversations can happen that change people's lives forever. Isn't that an amazing thing? You can go to the well to get a drink of water and have your life turned upside down. You can go to the staff room or the gym and have a short conversation that just changes everything, right? But we just need to have our eyes open. We need to be aware that Jesus is present in these ordinary places, and we need to be available and open and expectant. We need to go into those places saying in our hearts, Jesus is here, (laughs) so anything could happen today, right? Because he's here. Today could be the day. This might be the place where that little conversation happens that changes someone's life for eternity, right? Um, So we meet people where they are in the ordinary, everyday places. Um, The second thing is this, that we listen to their story. 
Um, now, of course, in the, in the actual example in John 4, um, Jesus has, I guess, what we would call supernatural insight into the woman's story. Uh, Jesus knows about her history and her backstory without being told. Uh, and I do want to say uh, we shouldn't rule out the fact that that can happen for us. The Holy Spirit may give you insight into the person you're talking to that is uh, not purely natural. But usually, I want to suggest, we will find out their story in the ordinary way. In other words, we will ask questions and we will listen. And we will find out their backstory and we will find out their journey in life. Um, why is that so important? Um, I think it's really important um, for one thing because many people in our world, in our culture, in our neighbourhood, um, many people have no one in their life who really listens to them. And so if you can do that for them, that's already a rare and precious and powerful thing. If you can be the one person in their life who shows up and really pays attention and really listens to their story, you're taking them seriously as a human being made in the image of God. Um, their story matters, right? So that's already a really powerful thing. But it's also really important because every person you meet has a history with God, right? They may not realize that. They may deny that God exists, but they have a history with God. God has been working in their life and God has been speaking to them. They may be aware of it or they may not. But you can pay attention to that as you listen to their story. Long before you turned up, um, God has been at work. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of you know, walking into a room at a party or something. And there's, there's a, a bunch of people here in the middle of a lively conversation. And you don't, you don't walk up to that group and just start talking. right? That would be the height of um, ignorance and arrogance. Um, you take time to listen and find out what's already, what's already been said here, what's already being said, and then you can join in. Um, and my very favorite definition of evangelism I've ever come across from my old teacher, Daryl Johnson in Canada. Uh, Daryl says, evangelism is the art of eavesdropping on the conversation another person is having with the Holy Spirit and then joining in, right? You're eavesdropping on a conversation they've already been having, having whether they realize it or not. And you need to take the time to listen both to the surface of their story and to what's going on in the heart underneath. And then you can join in. Um, so second thing um, is listen to their story. Third thing is look for connections with the gospel. In other words, look for the connections between their story and the gospel story. Um, as Jesus pays attention to this woman's story of her many marriages. And we don't, we don't know the detail of what went on in that story. But I, I think what, what goes on is Jesus hears what is going on under the surface of the story. And he, what does he hear? He hears that this woman is thirsty. She's thirsty for intimacy. She's thirsty for acceptance. She's thirsty for faithfulness. She's thirsty for unconditional love. And so what does Jesus start to talk to her about? He starts to talk to her about living water. That's not the only way to talk about the gospel. 
but it's the way that is really appropriate for this woman because it speaks to the hunger of her heart. It speaks to uh, the, the groan that is in her spirit. Um, I guess this is why I'm not convinced uh, about always using neat gospel summaries. Um, one chapter earlier in John chapter 3, Jesus talked to a religious man called Nicodemus who was very different to the Samaritan woman. And he talked to, he talked to Nicodemus about being born again. And he, he spoke the most famous verse in the New Testament, which is John 3, 16, um, which you all know very well. And often we're tempted to make that the approach for everyone. I'm going to talk to everyone about being born again in John 3, 16. But my, my very gentle, provocative question is, why did Jesus not repeat the same conversation with the woman at the well? Um, because as he listens to her story and her heart, he finds a different place to start. He finds a different place of connection where the gospel speaks to where she is living. And I think we need the same freedom and the same spiritual discernment um, to say there is one gospel, but there are many ways to begin a conversation. And I really believe if you ask the Holy Spirit to show you, he will show you where to begin with this person in front of you, with their story, with what's going on in their life. What part of the gospel might provide a way in for this person? Um, and it might, be, it might well be John 3, 16, or it might be those verses in Romans that people call the Romans road. That might be what they, where they really need to begin. Or it might be the gentleness of Psalm 23 and speaking about the Lord who is our shepherd. Or it might be one of Jesus' parables. It might be the parable of the, the lost sons. It might be the place to begin. Or it might be that beautiful picture of the cross in Isaiah 53 that Bethany read to us so memorably last Sunday. Um, even as I, I mentioned those examples, they maybe uh, highlight this, that the more we are soaked in scripture ourselves, the more we will have at our fingertips to share with others. Um, uh, we, in other words, we, we read the Bible to nourish ourselves, but also so we have something to share with others. And so we need a lively, daily, growing relationship with God's word, because then we will have all kinds of verses and images and metaphors and stories at our fingertips. And we can ask the Spirit, which one is right for this person? Um, at the same time, um, I also want to say, if you feel right now your Bible knowledge is really poor, you don't need to wait until you know more to start sharing good news. You can, you can start with the few verses you know and start sharing those, but you can also plunge into a deeper adventure with the Bible so that you have more riches, um, not only for yourself, but also to, to share with others. So that's the third thing is um, look for those connections between the gospel and the person you're talking to. Uh, the fourth thing is to talk about Jesus. Um, this is maybe hopefully very obvious. Um, Jesus talks to the woman about living water. And I guess that part of the conversation is a little bit kind of intriguing and almost a little bit deliberately cryptic and poetic. It draws out her curiosity. What is he talking about? She's a bit confused. Is it the water in the well? Or like, what is this living water? And it's a little bit intriguing. But as their conversation goes on, it leads eventually to this extraordinary moment 
where the woman talks about the expectation of the Messiah and Jesus says, the one standing in front of you, I am he. And so it becomes a conversation about Jesus himself. And so I want to encourage you, there are many places to begin, but make sure you get to Jesus, right? It's not the good news till you get to Jesus. The heart of the gospel is Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and the promise of new life for all who believe in his name. That's the heart of the gospel. And so in those little conversations that we have, wherever they happen, there is something really significant when you get to that moment when you speak the name of Jesus. And you can be talking about all kinds of other things. You can start in all kinds of places, but there's something really significant when you speak the name of Jesus. We, we don't want to just talk vaguely about faith or even talk, va- talk generally about faith in God, which can mean a lot of th- different things to different people. We want to talk about faith in Jesus, the Messiah. Um, we, we, we also don't want to just talk indirectly about church. Have you ever been to church? That's, maybe, that's a good thing to talk about. Or about prayer or about the Bible. Those are all good things to talk about. Um, but they're not the center of our hope. Um, what did Peter say? Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. What's the reason for our hope? <laughs> right. The reason is Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. So wherever you begin your conversation, there may come a moment in the conversation when you sense that you need to start talking about Jesus. Just ask God to give you the courage to speak the name of Jesus into that ordinary place and then see what happens. There's something powerful when we speak the name of Jesus. Um, So make sure you talk about Jesus. And then the fifth thing, last thing, is tell your own story. Um, And we learn this not from Jesus, but from the woman who immediately after her encounter with Jesus, what does she do? She becomes an evangelist immediately. And she goes into town to her friends and neighbors and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Right? And I'm always struck by the fact that woman, she doesn't yet understand very much. She hasn't got a lot of theology or doctrine. She hasn't got a lot figured out. She hasn't been to Bible college. She hasn't done an evangelism training course. What's happened? She has met somebody and that encounter has changed everything. And she goes and tells her own story very briefly and very simply. Um, And I want to encourage you that that's something you can do. Um, It doesn't need to be long or complicated, but you have a history with Jesus. You have a story about your encounter with Jesus. And maybe your story is very dramatic. Um, You're one of those people who gets asked to tell your testimony because it's really exciting. Maybe your story is very quiet and dramatic and undramatic um, and gentle. Doesn't matter. Tell it in your own words. Tell it in your own way with simplicity and honesty. And invite people like the woman did to come and see for themselves. Come and see. Um, Tell them about your encounter. Tell your own story. Um, 
I guess as I kind of reached the end, um, just I've been thinking about this. I think I, I do have a real sense that we are living in a time when we as God's people need to get a little bolder in speaking the name of Jesus in the ordinary everyday spaces where we live and work um, and see what happens. We need to get a little bolder. When the Spirit comes on people in the New Testament, they get bold about opening their mouths and talking about Jesus. But, but even as I say that about boldness, it's maybe good to end also on this note that Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. Because we sometimes get confused and think boldness means rudeness or aggression or a loud voice. But the same Holy Spirit who makes us bold also makes us gentle. That's how you can tell it's the real thing. Um, it's a, there's a paradox there. How can you be gently bold uh, in your life? But I think that's where the beauty of the gospel will be seen. Um, and so I want to finish last thing with a story, very short story, um, that I hope will show maybe the simplicity of what I've been talking about, uh, but also the amazing potential for lives to be changed. Um, it's a story uh, that's told by the, the artist Charles Maxey, um, who may or may not win an Oscar tonight for his uh, film about the boy and the horse and whatever else. Uh, Charles Maxey is a Christian and a highly respected artist. And he tells this story about a friend of his who is uh, a hospital chaplain. And uh, he was doing his work of being a hospital chaplain, going into a ward where, that he visited several times. Um, and he noticed there was one particular man in a hospital bed um, who every time the chaplain came in, um, greeted him the same way, not, not verbally, but with a two-finger salute. He saw the chaplain coming with his collar, and he literally followed him around the room with the two fingers raised. Um, wonder how you, you would respond. Um, the chaplain just smiled at the man and went about his work, went and visited the people he'd come to visit. And this happened several times, but then on one particular visit, the chaplain, something different happened. Instead of the two-finger salute, the man called him over to his bed and he asked him a question. Um, I think he started by just asking him, well, why do you wear that weird collar around your neck? But the chaplain saw that as an opportunity. He didn't want to talk about the collar. He took it as a chance to talk about Jesus. And so he talked to the man very briefly. But can I tell you about why, why I do this work that I'm doing is I want to talk to people about Jesus. And he talked about who Jesus is and he talked about why he came. He talked about his death and resurrection and that Jesus has made it possible for us to have a living relationship with God. And so he finished by saying, and that means you can, you can talk to Jesus because he's alive and he's here. And the man was puzzled about this and he asked him, well, how does that work? And the chaplain, said, the chaplain got out of his chair and said, well, see that empty chair there? He said, you could just imagine that Jesus is sitting there by your bed and he's here. And you can say whatever you want. And he said to the man, if you could say anything to Jesus, if he's here and he's real and he loves you, what, what would you say to him today? And the man said, well, I'd tell him I'm scared. Right? So the, the chaplain said, good, that's a good place to start. Tell him that. What else would you want to tell him? He says, I want to tell him I've effed up my life and I'm sorry. 
He says, that's good. That's really honest. Tell him that as well. He says, what else? What else do you want to tell him? He says, I don't know. The chaplain said, that's okay too. You can just sit in quiet. He's here with you. You don't have to say anything. That was the end of their, that was, that was the essence of their conversation. A simple conversation in an ordinary everyday place. The chaplain went away. Two weeks later, he came back to that ward. He noticed the bed was empty. He asked one of the nurses where the man was. She said he, he died a couple of days after you were here last time. But she said, you know, there's something weird. <laughs> Whenever, after you left, he was behaving really weirdly and he was bouncing in his bed and he kept talking to everybody around him about what you'd said about Jesus and about the chair. And the chaplain was encouraged and was about to walk away. And the nurse said to him, there's one last thing. Um, it's a bit strange, but when we found him in the morning, when he passed away, we didn't find him lying in the bed. His, his legs were still in the bed. His chest was lying on the chair. And his arms were wrapped around the chair. And that's it. It's an incredibly simple conversation. But it was enough that that man understood. He could lean the entire weight of his fragility and his fear and his guilt and his life and his death on Jesus. Right. And what I want to say to you this morning, we get to have those kind of conversations. We just ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. It can happen in the places where you are this week. Um, let's pray that it would be so. And then we're going to sing to finish. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we finish this morning, we want, to say, we want to say thank you for Jesus. We want to say thank you that somebody shared that amazing good news with us. We want to thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness and there is healing and there is new life and there is hope for life and for death and for eternity. We want to thank you that Jesus is able to take the weight of our lives and our brokenness and our guilt and our fear. And we're able to lean the weight of our lives on him. But Father, what a privilege that we also get to share that good news with other people. And so I want to pray in the name of Jesus, would you liberate your people? Would you give confidence to your people that we don't need to be super eloquent? We don't need to be super evangelists. We don't need to be super spiritual. But you can use us in the ordinary places of our lives. Just to open our mouths and share good news about Jesus. We can't do this by ourselves and we pray that your spirit would make us bold. We pray that your spirit would give us the right words at the right time for the person in front of us. We pray that your spirit would make us gentle. But Father, would you use us even this week? We pray there would be conversations that happen around our town that change everything for somebody this week.
And we pray in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, our Liberator, our Redeemer, our King. Amen.